Welcome back to The Absolutes. This is Greg Reichberg speaking to you from Oslo, Norway. Today is Saturday, April the 11th, the day before the Western churches celebrate Easter. This last week, the Jewish feast of Passover was also celebrated. This is no ordinary Easter week or Passover. We are in the throes of a pandemic caused by the spread of the COVID-19 virus. No part of the globe is unaffected. I've heard that a ship moored off Antarctica is struggling with infection on board. Oslo, of course, is no exception. Like so many other places, businesses, schools, and houses of worship have been shut down. I've been home under quarantine for the last week, showing symptoms of infection from the virus. It has struck me how the crisis we are undergoing is at once medical, economic, political, but also spiritual. People are suffering. Many are in anguish over the dramatic change of circumstances in their lives. Loved ones have died. Others are facing economic deprivation. Sometimes they're facing both. And there is a great fear among many that a secure future has been snatched from them. I would like to focus on the spiritual dimension. By spirituality, I mean the process by which we situate our everyday experience, our emotions, how we feel, the thoughts we are having, how we situate these feelings, these thoughts, these emotions in relation to the absolute I acknowledge in my life or the absence of an absolute. Spirituality is also about how I reach out to others in moments of their distress, how I accompany them in their struggles, oftentimes struggles much greater than my own. I have with me now, uh, remotely, two good friends, the Reverend Trund Bakovic, a theologian and canon with the Church of Norway. Also with us is philosopher Henrik Sisa, my colleague at the Peace Research Institute, Oslo. In the American context, the current crisis is often compared to the terror attacks of 9-11. It's especially the case in New York City, which has been very hard hit by the pandemic. Norway, as many of you may recall, experienced its own 9-11, when on the 22nd of July, 2011, a young man influenced by extremist ideology planted a bomb in front of the government headquarters that instantly killed eight people. He subsequently killed 69 people, many of them teenagers, who were at a summer camp on an island north of Oslo. Trund presided over many of the funerals for these young people. Trund, spiritually, how would you compare the events of July the 22nd to the pandemic we are experiencing now? It's in one way, there are many similarities, but there are, there's one big difference, and that is that in 2011, we had the crucial event behind us. 
and had to uh, work on the sorrow, the grief, deal with all the funerals. By the way, I did not preside over the funerals, but I was involved in church activities around the following. So it was behind us, and we had to deal with the grief and and all the funerals and, and the people we missed. And it was uh, this kind of national grief. Now we're in the middle of it, and we have some events behind us, but we don't know much about the future. It's not possible yet to plan for the future. And this this feeling of uncertainty, what will happen to us? Will anything hit us? Will I be caught by the virus? Will my dear ones be sick? Uh, What will happen to uh, planning the summer? What will happen to church um, services? So everything is still in the uncertainty. And, and, And this feeling of uncertainty also creates fear and uh, gives us a feeling that we don't have a secure platform, yeah. which we had, in a way, after 2011. Well, well you know, uh, sometimes said that sorrow is the emotion elicited by a present evil, or an evil that's past, that's still, that, that, that still has an effect. It, yeah, and, uh, but sorrow is, also, uh, sorrow is also caused by love. Yes, because uh, we, what, we we uh, we we grieve for the loss of somebody we we love, and, and in 2011 there was grief because we had in one way lost the innocence. Suddenly we were struck by terror from our own. I agree with you, uh, Trun. That uh, sorrow is what we experience for the uh, it's grieving over a loss of those that I love, but also. Loss that I myself experience. Yeah. The uh, what what I was uh, coming to was that uh, fear is the emotion and the dominant emotion that we experience vis-a-vis anticipated evils. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And uh, so I would say that right now, fear perhaps predominates in the current crisis uh, more than sorrow. Although there's plenty yeah. of sorrow because there have been many losses already. Yeah. The um. You know, my wife uh, said to me the other day, it's it's as though there's there's a new sheriff in town. There's like a whole new set of rules that that have modified all sorts of things that that we've taken for granted. Mm-hmm. Uh, Henrik, philosophically, uh, how should we go about handling incertitude? I think we are reminded at times like this that we live with uncertainty or incertitude all the time. But when things go better, we tend to forget, which is also natural because it's a natural thing to plan for tomorrow because the sun will probably rise and I may go to work and I'll hopefully live. And when that happens again and again, we get used to these things being the normal and we forget that we do live um, with uncertainty all the time. I mean, our life does not last forever. It will uh, end, uh, bodily speaking. Uh, here on earth. Um, We don't know when. 
Um, so in one way, uh, even though this is, or not just even though, this is a terrible time and we should never say that um, it's good that these things happen so that we are reminded of such things. It's nonetheless true that something good comes of it and something good that can come out of this is exactly to be reminded of how dependent we are on nature, but how much uncertainty there also is in nature. Uh, some draw the comparison to the uh, Lisbon earthquake in 1755, which is one of those uh, really important events in history, because it happened at a time when philosophy was moving in the direction of optimism. Things are going better, there's the enlightenment, there's new science. Um, and, and this earthquake, uh, shattered some of that optimism. Uh, and some say that the main result of that was uh, a lack of belief in God, because how can a good God actually allow this? But it's worth remembering that the Bible and the Christian tradition knows very well that these things can happen. I recently read an article that claimed that the main influence of the Lisbon earthquake was not primarily on theology, even though, of course, many people's faith was, was shook and, and challenged, that happens in the face of evil. But it was mainly this idea of everything is going well in our world, which is it not. Because we know that those who wrote the Bible, uh, the authors of the New Testament uh, or the Old Testament, they knew very well that, that these sorts of things happen. And then the spiritual and moral question is, how do we prepare ourselves for that? And in the midst of this happening, how do we show compassion, presence, and how do we formulate and light up a hope in the face of these sorts of tragedies. Well, you know, that, that leads me to uh, a related question. Uh, Aristotle talks about a virtue that he calls phronesis, uh, often translated as practical wisdom. And phronesis consists in choosing well under conditions of uncertainty making good choices when things are unclear. Uh, now, there's always some element of unclarity, incertitude in, in, in just about everything we, we do. But on some occasions, it, the, the scope of the uh, incertitude, the uncertainty widens, and that, that's our current circumstances. What sort of fundamental spiritual choices are we facing today? Trun, would you like to take a, a, a stab at answering that? Um, you're asking a very difficult question. Yeah, because, because we're, in a way, spiritualizing an, a, a virus. Um, and, and faced with this, uh, what we're facing is not the virus itself, but it's how we deal with the situation where uncertainty and fear is dominant about uh, are dominant among people. And and to me, um, expressing hope these times is of course the hope that uh, that we will overcome uh, the virus, and that. Through this, we will have learned something we were not planning to learn, or even something we did not want to learn, uh, because we didn't want the virus coming like it has now. But there are th there are times and there are things where 
you learn something which you didn't want to learn, but which is still of value. Yeah. And that is now, I think, uh, one thing is that we learn a lot about the, the uh, value of community. The fact that we cannot touch each other, that we try to avoid each other, is, is for me going to just uh, going to a grocery store and having to avoid people instead of saying hello, uh, giving a handshake, uh, touch their shoulder and so on. is. Uh, uh, good to see you um, and expressing that physically is 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 a loss so maybe we'll start valuing that at the same time as we start seeing we have to be careful mm. may, may i add there greg yes, i agree Henry. absolutely with what trun says and i think these aspects of hope and these aspects of how we maintain uh, social life in the midst of social distancing, because uh, that that is absolutely crucial. Our lives are are really changed. Uh, but a third element related to both of those is the realization that we are all vulnerable, with an yeah. emphasis on all, yeah. that we have a common vulnerability as human beings, which means that we also can, at our best, get closer to each other in spirit. We do live in a world uh, which is at times quite conflictual. Uh, as we know, all three of us talking here who have done some work on the history of war and violent conflict, we know that our time is not the worst of all times, uh, quite the opposite. There are many things that are better when it comes to uh, the prevalence of violent conflict. But having said that, we also live in quite a conflictual time. We do, not least conflicts between different ethnicities, uh, different ideologies even. And at that time to realize that as human beings, we have a common vulnerability, we have a common planet on which we live, for which we have a responsibility. And out of that vulnerability also hopefully comes a new sense of solidarity and a willingness to help each other. I can mention to the uh, listener that the three of us have taken part together, and I've learned so much from that, in various forms of religious and philosophical dialogues. And through that, we have good friends uh, in uh, the Republic of Iran. Uh, great scholars with whom we have been fortunate to work. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of those people right now because they live in a country that is quite severely hit by what has happened, uh, which is down on its knees when it comes to the health system. And these are human beings in our world. How can we acknowledge that common vulnerability and see better how a globalized world should be a world where we also help each other at times like this? Could I just add there, uh, just adding to what Henrik is saying, since we all are linked to the Peace Research Institute in different ways, um, we're dealing with conflicts and peace. Uh, this time, we're facing um, a situation where all conflicting parties have the same common enemy, which is a new thing. I mean, I deal a lot with uh, Jerusalem and the situation in Israel-Palestine, and they now have a common enemy, uh, which is uh, in one way more dangerous than being each other's enemy and more deadly. Well, you know, I, I mean, it seems to me that uh, a fundamental choice facing us today in the international arena is whether to opt in favor of solidarity Mm -hmm. common action, setting common goals, or, you know, zero-sum choices. Yeah, because out of this, we we either come 
all of us or we don't come any of us. That is the situation because even if the virus moves, I mean, if we have less things happening here in Norway, it moves to another place and can come back to us. Yeah. So, so we have a common enemy. Yes. I, I've been thinking a lot about the uh, fact that the, the hardships are une- unequally distributed. Mm-hmm. I mean, here in Norway, I think, uh, you know, there is difficulty, there is economic loss, there are people who are ill, there are people who have died. Uh, but compared to the situation of, of folks in, well, in, in, in the U.S., for instance, well, in Iran, where mm-hmm. we don't have the, the kind of social safety net that, that we have here. So, and, and people are being hit, some on, on all fronts, you know, health severely affected, finances severely affected. I mean, India, they're a dramatic mm-hmm. situation for people who are in quarantine. And I, I just find myself wondering, you know, spiritually, uh, what can I do about this? What, how do, how, what's the appropriate way for me to be solidaric? Well, it's... First, I mean, uh, I think it's uh, it's a question of how what how we deal with the resources we have commonly in this world, and that is one thing. And the other thing is to see if we can do something, especially for the most vulnerable. I'm especially worried about the refugee camps around the world, mm. where people live very closely together, and where they, if if it gets loose there, it's going to hit terribly. I mean, it's important. I I believe that Gaza is the most densely populated place in the world. Yeah, I I think Trond is perfectly right, and you are too, Greg. Um, And when we talk about these concrete things, uh, we know there are things we can do. Uh, I was uh, in a large refugee camp in in Uganda just a bit more than two months ago, Mm -hmm. together with Norwegian organization Stømmestiftelsen. And they're really trying to work to address these issues now and need resources and help to do that. And that's the sort of thing we can support, not least support the work to educate those who are there, not least the younger uh, uh, generation to learn about such a basic thing as hygiene. That's mm. the sort of thing we can do in solidarity. But I, I think, as I'm sure Trond would agree with me, there's also one other aspect of it, because first are the practical things, the political things. Um, what we can physically and concretely do. Uh, And then, of course, it's the spiritual dimension. How do we think about this? Um, And to me, if you take a basic uh, part of Christian life, such as prayer, uh, who do we include in our prayers? Mm. Um, How do we manage to talk about a a worldwide spiritual community. And this is hard to many people because often spirituality can end up with a sort of religion versus religion kind of contest. And I'm not saying that all religions are saying the same or that there are no differences between religions, but at the same time, at the spiritual core must also be the sense that we have something so important in common. And I think that is worth emphasizing at our time, not just because of Corona, but because of some of the negative things we are seeing in our world, we are seeing increasing nationalisms uh, mm. and ideologically very strong movements. We see it in places like India, we see it in Myanmar, we see it as Islamisms, we see it in parts of the Western world. And I think these are, if I may use a strong word, I think these are spiritual diseases. 
And I really think that this is a time to address them in a way that should be open, optimistic and, and invite to, to community. And therefore, it's important to say that God is not the tribal God. Yes. Uh, I, God God is the creator of all and the God for all. There's, if we believe there's one God, uh, the, there's only one God for one humanity. And, and uh, having said that, it's also important to say that, that uh, I don't believe that God created this virus in order to punish us or to punish someone or to punish somebody. That's the way of, of uh, that's, that's an understanding of and an image of God, which I think is important to fight these days. I, you know, perhaps we can conclude uh, with a comment that I read in Thomas Aquinas's commentary on the book of Job. Job was uh, confronted with uh, an epidemic. I don't know if it was an epidemic, but he 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 suffered from uh, severe physical ailments. He had boils all over his body, uh, among other hardships. And uh, Thomas Aquinas raised the question: Well, what what was the point of this test that Job was put to? And Aquinas's answer was: the the, the test was meant to uh, help Job come to better self-knowledge, better mm -hmm. self-understanding. Mm -hmm. So I think the kind of the self-understanding that 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 this could become an occasion, an occasion for uh, is is more of a global self-understanding. Mm -hmm. Reaching a better sense in, among the world's peoples uh, that we have a shared humanity. Mm, I think that's beautiful, Greg, and I'm very glad you put it that way. Mm. And let me just share with the listeners that as we are recording this, I mean, people listen to it at all different times, but it's actually Saturday before Easter, right between Good Friday and Easter Sunday. And parallel with the work I'm doing at Preo, I'm working with a, a good and very knowledgeable friend of mine called Osbjorn Bjornes, who is translating Dante's Divine Comedy, which is, of course, this uh, spiritual journey from uh, Inferno to Paradise. And people sometimes get stuck with Inferno because it seems so magnificently terrible. You know, this is, oh boy, look, look at this uh, portrayal of all the terrible things in the world. But of course, it is a book about the journey of hope. And on this very day, between Good Friday and, and Easter Sunday, uh, we, we are faced with a problem or rather challenge of how we can cleanse ourselves, how even in bad times we can learn about what it means to be good what it means to be a good fellow human being, uh, what it means to listen to the word of God. That's in many places, uh, in many ways, where we are now. So I, I think having that sort of dimension, which is also something that Thomas Aquinas really uh, touches on when he talks about the book of Job, I think is after all a hopeful and beautiful image to have with us as, as we march on in life in face of uh, illness and death. And resurrection is always stronger. Yes. And the death I, is the expression of, of hope, which is beyond and above and through death. That, I think, is a very fitting conclusion. Thank you both for joining me in the absolutes. Thank you.